0: Love, Hope, Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight, our guest is Andrew Bairn's father, who is the founder and uh, director of Christians Against Prohibition. And uh, before we start the show, I'm going to do a little blurb for our website and our book. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free-of-charge lay-led support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. And our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available from Amazon. And for more information, go to hamsnetwork.org. book Our guest, as I said, is Andrew Barron's father. He's here with us right now. Andrew, how are you doing this evening?
1: Pretty good,
0: thank you. Yourself? Oh, I'm doing great. Well, thank you for being on the show. Um, when we think about, you know, we we see a lot of politicians out there, a lot of Republicans and things, and they talk about how uh, they're, they're big Christians and how they hate drugs. And uh, so why do we have Christians against Prohibition? And what's the difference going on here in these viewpoints?
1: Well, um, I approach it from uh scriptural perspective as well as a logical perspective and based on my understanding of the life of Jesus uh Jesus was someone who welcomed people and won and healed people <laughs> Jesus mm-hmm. there's there's really only a, to me there's like four simple points to what um to the life of of, of Jesus and um and it, And and that we hear from prophecy, including setting the captives free and healing the sick and shining light. So the the drug war, to me, does all of the opposite of those things. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I have tried to bring scripture to bear and to bring that into the light to show that um, Jesus is not in favor of the drug war. And the drug war is, in essence, a tool of... Harm, to put it in a politically correct word. <laughs> Although there's another four-letter word that comes to mind, <laughs> evil.
0: Well, I think there's a lot of scriptures that. Uh, well, there's a lot in the New Testament that talk about about wealth and about giving it away to the poor. And you know, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And uh, but. The proponents of the drug war, the people in favor of it, are generally the rich men, aren't they?
1: Yeah, um, I would say definitely generally, for sure, and probably specifically a significant portion of them. Um, although, th- in my analysis of the thoughts and the logic that, y- that I've heard from prohibitionists and drug warriors, uh, I've come up with about seven separate mindsets, Um that people have, and one of them, of course, is kind of the catch all uh which would be the deceived, and Jesus, of course warns us to not be deceived, but the deceived is a group as a mindset that is really encompasses quite a few people um in, you know rich and poor and I would have to say, but I agree there's a there's a lot of people who are in my mind and to and quite uh obviously duplicitous they they fake to be in favor of, um, well, let's see, they, they, fake to be in, they, they fake that they hate drugs. For example, there's a guy that in uh, Texas not too long ago. He excoriated the thought of legalizing drugs, you know, saying it's lazy parenting and it sends the wrong message and all this, you know, claptrap that you're used to hearing. But then uh, not too long later, he was arrested on federal drug trafficking charges. So a lot of these people have have a, an agenda where they're making money by uh, due to prohibition, but they act incredibly, you know, hateful against God's plants, against drugs, against drug users, and so on and so forth. So they 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 do have a financial incentive in in uh, maintaining prohibition.
0: Well, it's a huge money maker. I mean, the the DEA makes money. Uh, I mean, there's lots of people have their jobs because of that. In the DEA, the prison system makes money, and the drug dealers make money. And it's it's good for all of them, but it's just bad for all of us. It seems.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, when, and it's, a, it's a, the the funny verb that I hear there is make money, because really money is coming off a printing press. I mean, in in my mind, right here. A lot of this money that they're so-called making is – I mean, that is why we have so much inflation now, as far as I'm concerned, is that we're – in order to pay for all of this, we're borrowing and we're printing and we're borrowing and we're printing. And, I mean, it's like Mugabe is is in our own government. (laughs) Mugabe being the – I'm sorry.
0: Well, the drug users uh, are really the American underclass. Today, I mean, it's it's considered proper to discriminate against drug users. While well, you discriminate, you do job discrimination against people that use drugs. You put them in prison. You run ads on television. The government r- runs and ads on television. It's supposed to be against drugs, but it's against drug users. It makes them look horrible. I mean, they're, they're the big underclass of the country. I mean, I've said you know, in many ways, the way drug users as Drug users, smokers, uh, alcohol abusers, the way they're treated in the U.S. is, is much like Nazis treated Jews. I mean, not, not in all aspects, of course, but there are similarities.
1: Oh, tons. Actually, you just pointed out one of the plots of the book called uh, Drug Warriors and Their Prey, uh, from police power to police state, written by Richard Lawrence Miller. Um, that book was brought to my attention by Jack Cole, who was one of the founders of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And even though I haven't read the whole book, I've started it, and that's definitely um, that's in the beginning of the book. It's in the it's in the, it's right up through the part where of where I am now. I mean, you can't you, they couldn't tell who the Jews were, so they made them wear uh, gold stars. Well, it's the same way. They can't tell who's using cocaine and who's using marijuana, so they have to extract your body fluids in order to uh, determine that. Yeah,
0: talk about illegal search and seizure on some of these things. Well, When we think about Jesus, we see him often. He was uh, the defender of the underclass. He hung out with the prostitutes. Uh, with the poor people with tax collectors, with everybody that was despised by society and uh do you see a connection here?
1: Oh yeah, it was actually in in the phrase or in the parables that that you're that you're alluding to he he even said um You know, John the Baptist came, neither eating or drinking, and you said he has a demon, but the Son of Man, that would be Jesus. You know, I came, and I'm eating, and I'm drinking, but you call me a glutton and a drunkard. So it's pretty much the same way how these people like to, I mean, you can't win with certain people. You know, no matter what you do, there's something wrong with you because you're challenging their their view and their values. And so, of course, know they said well jesus is here he is he's a drunkard because he's drinking with all these people and he's a glutton and so i mean no matter how much alcohol he consumed he was chastised as a drunkard and that's pretty much how they uh the drug warriors and the prohibitionists um justify things today where and, and one of the things that surprised me when i got more into drug policy was because I had been brainwashed that, you know, I thought, well, anyone who used cocaine surely just became a crazy addict who couldn't control themselves and was a street person within a week or two or a day or something who was was knocking over old ladies to get their purses. But the more I looked into it, the more I realized, well, that's really the people who have a problem with their use is a minority of the population that uses um, cocaine. And so, and and the same thing goes with alcohol. The same thing goes with marijuana, and, and most of the other drugs. We actually heard about Andre Agassi, who used crystal meth for a year, and then just decided he was going to stop. But that's certainly, you know, he may or may not be, you know, I don't know enough about crystal meth to say, you know, whether he's a representative sample. But um, certainly, of discovered that um, not everyone, you know, not all use is abuse, and that's part of the education outreach effort that I'm trying to engage in. And certainly that's the antithesis of what a lot of the prohibitionists want you to think, and that's how they treated Jesus. Well, he drank alcohol, so obviously he's a drunkard.
0: Yeah, he also, he was a defender of the underclass, and he was a critic of the ruling class.
1: Yes, very much so, yes. And it's hard, and Jesus There's a section on the Christians Against Prohibition website where I um, draw attention to one of the harder lessons that Jesus lived for us, and that's to um, despise the shame, which that's pretty much a a quote from Paul. Paul, Jesus doesn't say despise the shame, but he he lived it, whereas Paul wrote about Jesus, and he said, well, Jesus, um, for the glory that was set before him, he despised the shame. And so he knew he was going to be insulted. He knew he was going to be beaten. He knew these things, but he ignored that. You know, he, he knew that people were going to insult him because he drank. He knew people were going to insult him because he hung out with poor people and cash collectors and sinners and prostitutes. But he uh, went to them anyway. He despised the shame. And that's one of the things that's hard for people to do because you want to be in the in crowd.
0: Well, I always thought that, you know, if Jesus was around today, he would be uh, out there passing out clean needles so the people didn't get HIV. (laughs)
1: Sure.
0: Sure. Uh, You mentioned methamphetamine just a minute ago, and I, um, I think a lot of people aren't aware that methamphetamine is available by prescription in the United States to treat ADHD in children six years old, six years and older. So the, our psychiatrists are prescribing methamphetamine to six-year-olds, and that's totally fine. But if someone is buying it on the street and taking it, then they're in prison.
1: Yes. it's. It's. I, I think it's a marketing thing. It's just like you have brand-name drugs and you have generic drugs and you have the people who peddle these things, of course, make more profit by selling the brand-name stuff versus mm-hmm. the generic stuff so i you know i don't doubt that there's a similarity there you know where if you buy Adderall or or you know any of these other stimulants that like you say they give children um, mm-hmm. that you know when you then it's acceptable to give kids meth <laughs> but but you know i mean it's it's totally bonkers i just I, I, you know unfortunately people don't understand people have been intentionally kept intentionally ignorant and one of the main Problems of the drug war and prohibition is that they conflate. They they talk about all these drugs as though they're one. Like they you know, narco- marijuana is a narcotic and and cocaine is a narcotic. Well, none of those drugs are technically narcotics, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, the drug warriors keep on talking about all these drugs as though they're one. And of course, this happens in the marijuana um, arena too. And and when we talk about legalizing marijuana, then obviously all, all of a sudden. The prohibitionists start saying, oh, well, you know, well, it's like alcohol and it's like tobacco. Well, you know, there's some parallels that can be drawn, but to say that they're the same, they have the same effects, is just really a, a gross stretch of reality and truth.
0: What are some of the specific initiatives that your organization is involved in and working on right now?
1: Um, well, I we have little uh, we have some meetings um mostly uh, li- like we chatted um before your radio show started mostly um, my the most interested parties who have that I've been in contact with have it's been over the internet but i'm trying to uh, get some interest here at the grassroots level that that's closer to me um Basically, what we've done so far is we had a, last night, we had a meeting where we went to Michelle Alexander's uh, a presentation, a lecture that she gave at Harvard. Um, I went, I, I managed to catch a ride with uh, Jack Cole, who is one of the founders of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and uh, we went there and, and I met some people that I had already met before, like Barbara Dugan of uh, Families Against Mandatory Minimums. Um, and uh Andrea who runs uh Justice as Healing. Um so I'm t- I have to admit one of my one of my flaws is that I'm a, a nerd brainiac philosopher type person. I am not a charismatic person. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so when it comes to like rallying people to get up off and run down to the local whatever and carry signs, I mean that that's something that I have to either be taught or I have to read a book on, because that's just not in my blood to do that. But but when I am, tr- what I I'm more of a cerebral person who thinks about these things. But I can, I mean, I get up and I do these, I can do these things, um, and and make a petition. But I really want to before I put a lot of energy into a specific event or a specific something, I want to make sure that I get the most bang for my buck. But I will be. Um, begin having meetings at our local church for any interested um, parties in in the, um, uh, let's say, eastern Massachusetts area who want to attend. Um,
0: okay, you mentioned Michelle Alexander. There's probably some people in our audience that don't know who that is or don't know about her book, so tell me a little bit about that.
1: Okay. Um, Michelle Alexander... Is someone who wrote a book called *The New Jim Crow*, and it's a mass incarceration in the age of colorblindness. And she uh, slowly but surely came to the realization that um, that we that the drug war is behind this new Jim Crow. Uh, this new uh, uh, prison industrial complex. And, um, you know, depending on where you, you know, how they cut the interview or or who she's speaking to, I guess, you know, she pitches it different ways. But for the most part, like, like unfortunately, when I watched Religion and Ethics News Weekly, um, which is on PBS, they they had two versions of her interview. There was the interview that they published, which didn't mention drugs at all, and then there was the um, outtakes, not outtakes, but uh, the extended interview. And that's where she basically said, well, you know, the, the, she went beyond the horror statistics of, of how many people are in prison and how much it's costing us and, and the lives ruined and all that kind of stuff. And then she actually, in the, the extended interview that they didn't air, that's when she pointed out that, well, it's, it's pretty simple why it's happening. It's because of our, our drug laws. Um so she's she's a, she's a good speaker and uh th- it was it was beyond packed at their room last night. I mean they they brought in extra chairs and then the people who were standing uh, you know due to fire marshal regulations all had to go off to a separate room. So she really was um quite popular and uh I would say at least 1000 people showed up to to listen to her.
0: Well, there are some huge discrepancies uh, between who's using drugs and uh, who's getting arrested uh, based on color. And, you know, there's, I mean, the police aren't going into college dorms and busting people for smoking crack, but there's a lot of people in college dorms smoking crack, white people as well as black people. But, uh, you know, they're, they are not... Uh, it gets them in trouble if they bust if they bust college students for smoking crack compared to you know going into the ghetto neighborhoods and rounding up the people there and busting them.
1: Oh sure. Well, I mean, and then the answer is fairly obvious that that the people in college are bringing in you know tens of thousands of dollars into the community and uh, are our source of are, you know money for them. So they more or less leave them alone, whereas the people who aren't Spending and earning, you know, huge sums of money, are uh, the easier, the easiest way to make lots of money from them is to arrest them and um, charge the government, charge the rest of us to pay to incarcerate them. One of the speakers last night, I, f- I forget his name off the top of my head, but he showed a graph of um, different skin colors and education levels, and basically, no matter what. No matter what skin color you were, as long as you had a college education, you were much less likely to be mm-hmm. arrested. Whereas if you um, didn't have a high school diploma, and you were or the high school dropped out of high school before earning a diploma. Those, no matter what skin color you were, but particularly the black people, were. I mean, it, just the numbers were off the charts. With they dwarfed the um, arrest rates of, of college graduates. So you're right, it's a socioeconomic and skin color combined.
0: Tell us a little bit about your website. What's the URL, and tell tell me what's available on that site.
1: Sure. The uh, the long version is uh, christiansagainstprohibition.org. Um, sometimes it's easier just to go to a website search engine and type it in there so it can fix all the spelling. But I also have another URL that will point and redirect to that, and that's a ChristHeals.us. Um, and what they'll find there is kind of a smorgasbord of of uh, articles. Some, sometimes I've, I've put up uh, news items. Sometimes I post what other reformers are talking about, like recently uh, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, asked people to call the governor of their state in order to protest the uh um, uh Corrections Corporation of America's interest in in buying prisons and then part of the contract and and what they're saying is we'll buy your prison but it also says but you have to main you have to ensure that they're 90% full <laughs> which <laughs> uh, so so that so sometimes I point to what other uh, reformers are doing um, but like I said, I also am, am a philosophical type person, and I analyze things. So there's also sections of the website where I um, kind of explore the. I already mentioned this earlier. The uh, the mindsets when I analyzed all the different uh, as many different prohibitionist arguments that I that I've heard. Um, Then I kind of tried to categorize them into, you know, well, what's the view? Why would they do this? You know, is this due to a conflict of interest? And is this due because they just are being deceived? Are these people, um, they just, and this other group, I call them thug addicts. Um, They just get their jollies by beating up and always having someone that they can put their thumb on. So I analyze from that perspective, but also... Um, I love, and one of the things I love to do also is analyze quotes out of the Bible. So there's another section that is currently the most popular section on the website, which is uh, quotes, um, and that's divided up into two different sections. They're just regular quotes, the, um, so-called secular quotes, and then there's quotes that I've taken out of the Bible where I quote Paul or Solomon, Jesus, and uh, and then Show how that quote relates to prohibition, the drug war, um, you know, something like that. There's even a forum. I mean, it's it's. I, this is just a shout out for the web software I use. It's called Drupal, and Drupal is is remarkably powerful. I mean, with the White House runs on Drupal. Whitehouse.gov runs on Drupal. With the Drupal, you can have a forum section so anyone can chit chat. You can also have blogs where individual users have their own blogs. Um, and so I have a forum where people who register with the website can show up and type in questions and start their own threads and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so it's really powerful software, but for the most part, it's been the website has been me trying to collect my thoughts. It's like a big rough draft of a book, more or less, where I'm trying to figure out how I can present what I've learned and, and uh, my own knowledge so that... I can convince other people whether they're Christian or non-Christian or whatever they are that that the drug war is just so counterproductive it does the exact opposite of what its cheerleaders say it does and um and I go back and I revisit essays every once in a while I I say well I've, I've got updated information and I and I fix the essay or some of them I've decided that I really didn't like them at all and I took them down um so it's like everything it's it's a work in progress but the nice thing about it not being a book is that is that I have that capability. <laughs> I can I can alter stuff and uh change around what I've published already.
0: Well, it's also nice to have a lot of original content out there because Google really likes that and you know. It brings yeah. people in. That's one way. You know, that's as I've said our our organization has also made extremely heavy use of uh of the Internet because you can do things for either free or extremely cheap that you couldn't do otherwise.
1: Oh, yes, yes. That's prophesied in the Bible as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's one of the, when well, you have various prophecies in the Old Testament about how in the, um, the the mountains will be brought low and the valleys will be raised up. I mean, the Internet really has been the great leveler because you don't have to own a ton of stores and you don't have to own a multi 1000000 dollar printing press. I mean, if you know the right people, you can get a domain name for, like, 12 bucks. You can publish and start publishing on the Internet for not much more money than that sometimes. So it's really um, definitely been a great leveler.
0: Well, it strikes me, uh, once again, um, there's always been an underclass. I mean, it, it seems like there's always an underclass uh, throughout the world, throughout history, and the The great religions the ones that impress me are always the ones that you know teach that this is wrong it's not it's wrong to discriminate against uh, another group of your fellow human beings and um, so that's one of the things that I really see going on here um, why drug prohibition is so uh, it's so against the basic morals of any great religion of the world uh, that it it just encourages a hatred of this subgroup of people. And uh you know, if we were going to talk about some parables well, the good Samaritan, if we were gonna update that, we'd have to make it the good junkie. Or <laughs> or the good Muslim, because the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. You know, we would yeah, sure. so if it was a good a good junkie that saw, you know, a policeman lying in the street beaten up and helped him you know, picked him up when uh, the other policemen just walked past him. That would really be the updating of that parable for us today.
1: Oh yeah. sure, sure. And and even even uh, even atheists, people who don't believe or have no belief at all in God, they they still you know some of them um, still believe in the golden rule because you don't need to believe in God in order to believe in the golden rule. Um that's one of the things that that I think is really important to me. I mean that's, a lot of people say religions are founded on the golden rule and I and I don't dispute that. But I would also point out too that there's a, there's a lot of atheists who believe in the golden rule and uh and drug wars against the golden rule. <laughs> a uh lot of, and, unfortunately they've re- realized that.
0: Absolutely. As I I mean I was an atheist for many many years. And I still carry a lot of that skepticism with me. But, you know, atheists, especially, you know, atheists that read a lot and are well-educated, to make themselves well-educated, they tend to be extremely moral people. You know, they, like, want to pay you back every penny that they borrowed because, you know, they don't – one thing is they just don't want to be judged by, you know, religious people as, as you know, doing something as being less. So, I mean – some of them are very strictly moral in their dealings with others.
1: Oh, and not, not only that, but a lot, so a bunch of them. The Pew Research—I forget their official name, but the uh, the Pew Group—I don't know what they are. But they're a pretty well-known, um, organ, uh, nonpartisan organization that conducts research and studies. But the Pew um, Center for something rather did a uh, study on um, knowledge of religion. And ironically, they found that the atheists knew more than the Christians <laughs> with regards to with regards to the Bible and and, uh, and and religious history. The Jews, I think, came in second, and it was like Christians that came in the last. <laughs> and these questions were like right out of the Bible, like like what did Moses do? And you know, I mean, things that would that I consider completely obvious, although I get some wrong because I'm not versed on uh, early 1900s. Uh, Evangelists, that kind of stuff, but it was pretty funny because the like I said, the atheists came out way ahead of of the Christians in terms of knowledge of Christianity and religion.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it it doesn't surprise me. A lot of times, you know, they're they're reading the Bible very critically because um, you know they look they're looking for problems sometimes. <laughs> so sure. um, you know, and. Uh, I mean many people that are brought up in traditional christian homes it's just they've they've never read the bible,
1: yeah, it's sad yeah. because it's a great book but to me the bible is like a is a is like a powerful drug religion is to me is a powerful drug if you do it by yourself and you i mean it's possible to get carried away and just have a real and go off on a on a real bad trip, so to speak um that's why you know you have to you you have to learn about it you have to do it with other people you have to talk to people who are more knowledgeable than you i mean literally religion is like a super powerful drug i mean i, I just i, I there's a that's that may not be the best uh, few sentences to describe it so maybe i'll get an essay i've been meaning about getting an essay out about it but <laughs> where i can actually that's another thing i like about writing versus versus talking is that i can hone my thoughts and I can say, whoops, I didn't mean that, and I can go back and rewrite it.
0: Well, I think it is a good analogy because um, religion can be used in ways that are very useful and helpful and it can also be abused. And in that way, it's very like a drug.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you have people who unfortunately come to worship the Bible instead of worshiping God. You know, I mean, they, they literally worship the Bible and they, and that to me that's kind of how I see the drug warriors and the prohibitionists, like even even a, a, a parent, uh, the m p p sent out i think it was no it was uh, another group sent out a comment because barack obama's um where we the people initiative where he asked people to put up their initiatives and get other people to sign on to them so that he could see what were the most popular issues that he that the The people wanted addressed, and of course, leap put out one for legalized um, marijuana. And well, the the most recent email that came in today was how Barack says, "Oh, well, you know, it's against federal law, and therefore we can't do anything about it." So it's like, well, let's all bow down to these laws, even though the laws are doing the wrong thing. Which actually reminds me of a Roman Catholic uh, minister who wrote a, a, a scorching essay. In one of the in a Roman Catholic um, magazine, where he said drug laws are idols. Drug <laughs> laws are they they are they're they're false gods. They promise a salvation they cannot deliver. And so I mean he really like me because I've tried to write a few essays where I shape the fence so hard because I try to say look you know you just can't sit on the fence about this. You have to pick a side. Um, so he did the same thing, where he said drug laws are false gods, they are false idols, they promise a salvation they cannot deliver, and um, but but still people, you know, oh well, you know, we have to, there are so-called laws, so we have to worship them, even though they do the exact opposite of what they are claimed to do.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a huge problem with that point of view, and that is that the federal drug laws are unconstitutional because the tenth amendment of the constitution strictly limits the powers of the federal government and to make a prohibition law you are required to pass an amendment which they did with alcohol alcohol prohibition was legal it didn't work it was stupid and it was taken down with another amendment but to prohibit drugs in the same way, you are required to pass an amendment. You have to get a two-thirds majority according to the Constitution. They didn't do that. They just passed a simple law, and it's a unconstitutional law.
1: Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. Not only that, but, um, you know, there's there, throughout, for tens of thousands of years at least, humans have been eating these plants, and ever since, I don't know how many thousands of years ago, they've taken on a religious a, a, a traceable religious significance for um, so and and clearly that's in the first and I show my ignorance here. It's in the First Amendment, I believe, of, you know right to religion. And so, fortunately, um, Native American church and some Native American groups and even South American groups have um, been successful in court maintaining that they can um, take peyote or ayahuasca for their religious. Purposes, but um, but unfortunately, the government still denies that right to the rest of the populace, which I you know hold is unconstitutional.
0: Well, it is uh, it is quite unconstitutional. Of course, the Tenth Amendment says the the states and the cities can make any laws they want about prohibiting anything, and well, we see that's still true even in the case of alcohol. We have some dry counties in the U.S. still that don't sell alcohol. But according to the Constitution, you can't do federal laws to prohibit drugs, alcohol, or you can't do anything that's not already explicitly pointed out in the Constitution unless you pass an amendment. And getting an amendment passed is a lot of work.
1: One of the uh, first essays that I wrote, because you you mentioned having original content is something that search engines like. Well, so I started Christians Against Prohibition, my first essay I think was we love religion but not forcing it on others and so that was about how I viewed prohibition as people forcing their religion on others taking the law into their own hands then the set and then I, I wrote that and I was like okay well that's fine I'm gonna write something else and so I opened up um, my mind I opened up the uh, the Constitution because I thought well I need to write about alcohol prohibition and so I started writing and and I wrote a little bit more and then it suddenly dawned on me alcohol prohibition is the 18th amendment. And mm-hmm. what is 18? Well 18 is 666. Six, six. <laughs> Which for people who are familiar with Revelation 666 six, six is um the number of one of the evil beings and uh and so and to, and if you actually read it, it, you know, these these evil people, these evil beings are busy trying to force others to do stuff you know, worship this other person, worship this um this idol. So I mean it just really dovetailed nicely and then and then I was like, okay, well that's that's probably all I need to write. And then I realized that the amendment that overturned prohibition was the twenty first amendment, which is seven seven seven. And for people who know religion in numbers, they realize that a seven is considered the number of perfection and um, number of, of completion—it's it's a perfect number—and so you know, it just kind of added up. <laughs> so there's an essay that's that's pretty old on the website, one of the first ones I wrote, where I um, point where I point that interesting. You know, I'm not going to say it's 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 it was that the 18th Amendment was because of 666, but you know, but it's really a big coincidence. <laughs>
0: Okay. I think we're running out of time now, so uh, what final words would you like to leave us with this evening?
1: Well, the best advice that I think I've been given at this point in time is that everyone needs to contact their legislators and tell them that we have to repeal our prohibition laws and replace them with regulation laws, and that uh, prohibition does the exact opposite of what, its cheerleaders say it does. It causes harm, and I just want to encourage people to take a look at some other organizations besides mine. Um, uh, there's the Drug Policy Alliance, which is an outstanding organization, and of course, uh, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, which which I love them. Their Leap leap.cc. and also there's a new organization that that I've uh, uh, hold dear, and that's a and you interviewed uh, Denise Cullen, not too many mm-hmm, weeks ago. Mm-hmm. She's uh, with Grasp, Grief Recovery After Substance Passing. So th- there's a, uh, there's lots of people out there who want this to end, but all the but the only way that I think that it's going to end is that we have to hound incessantly the people with their fingers on the levers. And that's you know I wish that wasn't the case. I wish that. You know, it's it's a lot easier, but unfortunately it seems that that's how I've synthesized how we're going to fix this problem.
0: Okay, thank you very much for being our guest tonight, Andrew Barron's father. Everyone, please come back next week. Our guest will be Barry Lesson, and he will be talking about his journey from originally being a standard 12-step type addictions counselor into becoming a harm reduction counselor. It should be very interesting. Thank you, everyone, and good night.
1: Thank you very much, Ken.